You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. I don't know what your kind of week has been like. Uh, for me, my um, son went back to university. I feel like I need just an emotional moment now. He's gone back to Portsmouth, that's it. I was going to say I won't see him for another year, but he's coming back in October. I'll be honest, I'm driving him around the M25 as I'm you know, driving him back, and I get emotional. I think, I, oh. Anyway, we have these little routines, and I thought I'd just share one with you. When we get down to Portsmouth, we unload the stuff, put it in his house, and then I go and buy lunch, and we sit on the beach, and we just look at the sea, and we eat our lunch together, and then obviously I come back to London. And it doesn't matter how many times I have been to the sea, I could sit and watch it forever. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about you. I don't know if there's something that you think. Actually, I just thoroughly enjoy doing that. Uh, now, I know you could say oh, the sea's always moving or something's always happening, but I've just sat there and I just said to him, you know, I hope when I'm an old man, I said to my son, and you choose my nursing home, choose me one that overlooks the sea. <laughs> Seriously, I'd just love to be wheeled out there and just feel like, oh, wow, that is fantastic. I don't think I'd ever bore of looking at the sea. Well, I feel that about the gospel. And we are going to be looking at this for six weeks. We're going to be looking at the whole subject of what is the gospel. Now, for some of you, you might say, well, I'm not even a Christian. That's fine. This is a great subject for you to look at. Some of you might say, well, I've just become a believer. I thought I've, I've sort of covered the gospel. Actually, this is a great subject for us to look at. And some of you, you might say, well, actually, I've, been, I've believed the gospel for 30, 40 years. This is still a fantastic subject to look at. I was raised uh, in a Baptist church. I'm always very grateful for that. And um, we, we used to sort of sum up the gospel A, B, C. A, admit your need of God. B, believe that Jesus died on a cross for you. C, confess, pray to him. And so we used to say the gospel is A, B, C. I would like to suggest the gospel is A to Z. It's actually the whole thing. I don't think we're ever meant to progress on from this. I think actually it's something that is, is constant for us to look at. Martin Luther, he was a German priest and a professor in the Reformation. He said this, we need to beat the gospel into our heads. I know that Sam had us being a bit touchy-feely towards people in the worship. I'd like you to turn around and thump them on the head. No, 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 no. no. So I just want to see who's actually listening. Because it's almost like, come on, we've got to beat the gospel into our heads. It's almost like we've got to say, well, how do I get a hold of this? I believe that this is something we need to grow increasingly into and not out of. How do we get into the gospel? Leslie Newbegin, he was a British theologian, missionary, and author, says this, the Christian story, by that he means the gospel, provides us with a set of lenses, not something for us to look at, but us for something for us to look through. And so I think we've got to be very careful because the whole thing of the gospel is not, oh, that's it, we just look at the gospel. I think these are glasses that we're going to look through and it will change the way we see everything. I know, you know, if you've been to the cinema and, you, you know, you put on these 3D glasses, suddenly there's this thing and it changes everything, doesn't it? You know, you, suddenly it's in 3D, now it's changed. I think the gospel should do that for us. C.J. Mahaney, he's a pastor in America of Sovereign Grace Church, says this, never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. 
The gospel is the life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. Its depths man will never exhaust. You know, this is this understanding. That is the gospel. If you've got a Bible, I'd like you to turn to Romans. Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. In the New Testament, that's the sort of second half of the book if you're not used to it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then goes to Romans. Romans chapter 1. I've got the verse coming up here, and this will be coming from the New International Version. Some of you may have slightly different. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. One verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, some of you will be aware that the the Bible is slightly different translations. And sometimes I think it's helpful to look at some of those to bring a verse alive. So the good news version says this. It's not going up there, just listen. I have complete confidence in the gospel. I love that, don't you? I'm not ashamed of it. I've got complete confidence. Uh, A translation called The Message says this, I am most proud to proclaim the gospel. And there's another one that goes like this, I am not the least bit embarrassed about the gospel. I am introducing this subject, like I say, we're going to be looking at for, for six weeks. And I just wanted this morning almost say, how do we define what the gospel is? Are we embarrassed? Are we proud? Are we excited? C.H. Spurgeon, he used to be an English preacher. In fact, he was nicknamed the Prince of Preachers. He says, when we preach Christ crucified, we have no reason to stammer or stutter, or hesitate, or apologize. There is nothing in the gospel of which we may have cause to be ashamed. Don't you love it? The gospel, Sam told us right at the beginning, the gospel is good news. I didn't know that Anna was going to bring the word that she did in the worship. I'd I'd written it down. The problem with good news is that we, we tend to use it so flippantly. We say, oh, it's good news, my team won. Oh, it's good news, I've got no homework tonight. It's good news, I've got a pay rise. It's good news, my baby only woke up once in the night. It's a bit like Anna was saying, oh, we can use love in so many different ways. The danger is that when we say the gospel is good news, we just think, oh, there's lots of things that are good news. I think the danger of when we say the gospel is good news is that actually we actually hear that the gospel is good advice rather than good news. And that actually, rather than saying, oh, it's good news, it's truth, oh, it's, it's good advice. I think there can be a danger from that. I honestly believe that the gospel says we are rescued from being under God's wrath due to the things that the Bible calls sin, anything less than perfection. Therefore, we're alienated from God and from ourselves. That's our shame and our fear. We're alienated from God and from other people. That's when things start going socially wrong. We're alienated from God and from nature. That's when things break down. I mean, that's so obvious, isn't it? I mean, you just feel like everything seems to go wrong, doesn't it? 
I mean, I, I'm amazed how many times you can put your, your iPod headphones into your pocket, and when you bring them out, they're all knotted, aren't they? Why do they do that, for goodness sake? Why don't they just come out in a nice coil? Because everything in this world just seems to degenerate and go wrong, doesn't it? The default is, let's mess things up. <laughs> the gospel is good news. John 3.16, I'm sure if you know one verse out of the whole Bible, you might know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have it. That is the good news of the gospel. I'll be honest, I've not done many funerals. I don't think, I'm, I'm not afraid to do funerals because I think if people are believers, actually this is an exciting thing. I think every funeral I've done, I have done out of this verse. You always want to say, this is the good news that we have. God so loved us. And if you're a believer, you'd often back that up with Ephesians 1 verse 4. That actually, and we've even heard about it today, his love is so great. He loved us before the world was formed. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. And in some respect, I could stop this morning, and some of us have. We've looked at the gospel and we thought, man, this is good news for me. And we live in a culture which says, what's in it for me? And when we think about the gospel, we think, what's in it for me? I would say the gospel is good news for the whole world. How do we see the bigger picture? Do we stop and think of the bigger picture? Some people will know that in 2012, there was an amazing event that occurred in London, the Olympic Games. In case I've not told you this before, I performed in the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. Yes! The last time I performed, about a billion people around the world watched it. And you're thinking, where's this going? No, it's all part of the sermon, trust me. To do this, it was a 12-minute piece I was involved in. I don't know if you remember, you know, they, they opened up the, the, the stadium. They had the tree that went up. They, it changed from the green and pleasant land. We had the NHS dancing and all that kind of It was the opening ceremony. I did 12 minutes stint in that. To do 12 minutes on that, I had to rehearse for 150 hours. And you think, I mean, you know, it was faultless. It wasn't just good. And, and these were in like three-hour blocks, four-hour blocks. I lost track of the amount of time I went across to East London to rehearse for the opening ceremony. Danny Boyle, he's the director who did it. Me and Danny Boyle, we're like that now. Okay, there was 10,000 of us that took part in the opening ceremony. But what I found absolutely fascinating is they would literally have thousands of us in at a time. They weren't paying us. We were all volunteers. I admit that as well now. But actually, what they wanted us to do was you had to understand the whole thing to understand how your part played out. You see, I was one of the men that came out when the tree went up. But if I didn't understand that these were playing in green and pleasant land, I wouldn't have understood my role. And if I didn't understand that the Industrial Revolution came after this, I wouldn't have understood why I was rolling up so much grass and carrying it. That's basically what I did. I just moved the grass. I'd have never realized that unless I saw the big picture. But they had us in there time after time. We watched the whole thing. Now, I think sometimes we forget the big picture when it comes to the gospel, and we only think about our own role. And what we want to try and do is step back and look at the big picture. You see, if you do not see the big picture of the gospel, 
You think it is purely about you dying and going to heaven rather than how do you cope on earth now. If you do not see the big picture of the gospel, you think the gospel is an add-on to your life rather than what your life is added on to. Oh, and so I want us to try and step back a little bit and think, what is the big picture of the gospel? You see, if you only partially understand the gospel, you only partially live it. The more fully you understand it, the more fully you will live it. We've called this gospel revolution. The whole thing about revolution is it changes your world view, the way you view the world. Oh, I just thought the gospel was about me. Suddenly, it, it, it surely should change everything. St. Augustine, he was one of the early African believers. He said this, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe in, but yourself. Oh, golly, that's a bit challenging, isn't it? Because so often we think, oh, I thought the gospel was about me. I like this bit. It affects me. What is the gospel? The gospel is the fact that God is renewing the world, and I personally am a part of that renewal. So I believe that the, the whole Bible is the inspired word of God. I believe in Genesis 1, that when God created, he made it, and it was good. You see, I believe that he made this perfect world. But then actually when sin entered, and I talk about that, when people decided to do their own thing, I don't want you, God, I go my own way. It got messed up. But actually God always said, hey, one day this Messiah will come and he'll restore things. And in fact, when Jesus did come, he started renewing things. In fact, he even said to people, which is where we get the term now, you must be born again. Oh, born again, Christians, why was that? It's almost like we've got to renew something. You've got to spoil, you're going to get born again. Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians 5 and says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So actually, the gospel is about renewal. So why do we take an offering for people that we don't see? We've seen them on social media. We've not personally met them. Why? Because actually, we're called up to, to stand for justice and to fight poverty because that's the gospel. The gospel is about renewal. We don't say, oh, that's over there and it's nothing to do with me. We say, but the gospel is the fact that this world has been corrupted, but it is being renewed. We're part of that story. Why would we get involved in making donations to a food bank that's feeding thousands of local people every year? Because the gospel says, well, actually, things have gone wrong, but the gospel is seeing the renewal of God come, and we can be a part of that. We don't just sit on the sidelines and think, hey, I'm okay. Hey, the gospel's filled my pockets. Don't come near me. We think, actually, this is something of what God is doing. We're caught up in it. The gospel is this. It is God gathering his own people, and I can personally be a part of that. So again, I think if you start literally in Genesis, there was God with Adam and Eve in the garden. We know that actually the book will finish in Revelation where he gathers tribes and tongues and every nation together. I believe that the gospel is God graciously reaches out to people and draws them to himself. That's quite a challenge, though, isn't it? 
You see, I think the gospel is more about God gaining a people than people gaining a God. And I sometimes think if we turn that round. I sometimes we think we end up thinking, oh, the gospel is about me gaining God. Whereas actually, if I read the big story, I think it's about God gaining a people. When I think about heaven, and please, I, I don't want to cut across some of the tender way God has spoken to us. I'm not going to be on his lap. I'm going to be around his throne. Is the gospel about me and just my personal thing? Or is actually the gospel, there's going to be thousands and hundreds and millions around his throne worshipping him. You see, ultimately the gospel is about him and his people, not about me. And that's why I'm part of a church. Because actually I think it's not just me in my small corner and meeting with God. I'm part of the gathered people of God. I mean, that to me is the beauty of church. I mean, look around. You think, this is it. We don't do it on our own. No, seriously, just look around. Go on, turn. You think, this is it. Brilliant, hey? We're part of a local church because Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, not my Father. You see, we're part of a local church because actually the gospel is a gathering of people together. That's why I want to speak well of every other church in Ealing. I've often said this, maybe I've not said it enough. My competition is not other churches. We're all part of God's people. My competition is sport. My competition is the fact you're hungover from the night before. That's my competition. My competition is shopping or the fact that you have to work ridiculously long hours. You see, the gospel is God gathering a people. It's not about me. It's about him. I think that's so exciting. That's why we want to see churches planted elsewhere. Because there's something about God gathering his people. You see, the gospel through Jesus Christ, I, I believe this, <laughs> that's why I look for diversity. I, I know this can seem a little bit cheesy, but diversity is not about PC, it's about JC. It's not about being politically correct, it's about Jesus Christ, isn't it? Because honestly, I believe that the Bible is a gathering, the gospel is a gathering of people. And so it's not one of these are just people that are like me that I want to hang around with. Hey, if I look at the Bible, the big picture, it gathers every tribe and tongue. And I think, oh, Lord, more. We know there's 172 nationalities in this Bible. I don't want to stop until I've got 172 nationalities in the church. Now, I know it's not just this one. I know it's across all of us. But I think well, this is surely what we understand, isn't it? That's why we want to reach unreached people groups. That's why we told you last week about the 6th of December. Come along as we talk about supporting a church plant in Istanbul. Why? Because the gospel is about gathering people for him. The gospel is that through Jesus Christ, God's presence fills the earth and I can enjoy that presence. You think about the big picture, yeah? We, we're, going, we're trying to think the big picture. In the garden, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed the presence of God. The gospel is about the fact that you can enjoy the presence of God. Now, if we go through the Bible, we notice that actually the presence was, well, where was it? It was in the tabernacle. It might have been on a mountain. Um, it was in the temple. In the Old Testament, the presence of God tended to be about a place, but then we know that when Jesus died on the cross and the curtain was torn in two, 
Pentecost appears and the presence of God is about a people. And so actually, what's the gospel all about? It's about the fact when we meet, it's not just saying, oh, you've got the odd thought, just share it. We quite like it. Some of you are quite intelligent. No, it's God is here. Whoa, something that changes everything. God is going to say something. Why do I want to hear it when, when Anna comes forward? I believe God is speaking. There's the presence of God. That is the gospel. In the Old Testament, they went through Psalm 84, where it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty, because it was a place. But in the New Testament, we read in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, You, like living stones, are being built together. That is the gospel, isn't it? Into a spiritual house. I'm defining the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus. In Mark 1 and verse 1, this is one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, why have we sung so much about it this morning? Why does Sam stir us about this thing from the life of Pi? Because actually it's all pointing to who is this Jesus? What is the gospel? How do I define the gospel? I believe that Jesus is fully God, a member of what we would call the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He came to earth because although creation was perfect and people related perfectly to God, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, suffering entered and death entered. It tells us, Paul does in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God, who though he's 100% loving and wants to reach out to you, is 100% holy and says, I can't just sweep this under the carpet. So he says, there's a plan. The plan is this. Jesus will bear the punishment of sin. He will take the wrath of God so that those who trust in him can be acquitted. That's the gospel. So Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life. It had to be a perfect life because otherwise he'd be dying for his own sin. And he didn't die for what he'd done wrong. He died for what we have done wrong. Martin Luther, yeah, the guy who said bang the gospel into your head, also described the gospel as the great exchange. The great exchange. So he said that actually we are sinners. So he became a sinner so that we can become righteous. We deserve death. So Jesus came and tasted of death so that we get what he had to offer, which is life. We are villains. So he came and took our place so that we can become sons as he was a son of God. The great exchange. Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. God made him who had no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he rose again. By rising again, he proved Almost that he was acceptable to God as he died on our place. It's a bit like a substitution. Uh, that seems such a, a, a poor description, but it's almost like he, he took my place. I was subbed off. He subbed on. He played in my role. Wow. 
So the gospel is this. The gospel is the magnificent news that God sent his son to live in this world, the perfect life that we could never live, and die the death that we deserve to die so that we can live now and eternally as friends of God. Now look, I know that I'm covering lots of stuff, but I am really looking for a hallelujah. Yes, that's better, isn't it? It's an amen on this one, isn't it? I mean, look, I'm not telling you how bad you are. I'm telling you how good he is. I'm not trying to tell you what you've got to earn for this gospel. I'm telling you he's paid it all for you. Come on, Sandra. I know the Brazilians are a little bit more liberated than that. You know what I'm saying? Yes, there we go. I'm going to read this again. Thank you. The magnificent news that God sent his son to live the perfect life that we never could and die the death that we deserve to die so that we can now live now and eternally as friends of God. That is the gospel, isn't it? John Piper, he's an American pastor, teacher, and author, says this. The best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. Well, I'm glad you said more amens to me than him because he's actually a much better communicator than I am. (laughs) Tim Keller, he's a pastor, theologian and apologist, leads a church called Redeemer in New York. He challenges us this. We must not depict the gospel as primary joining something, Christ's kingdom program, but rather as receiving something, Christ's finished work. Oh, that's really challenging, isn't it? It's not just about us you know, joining in this kingdom advance. It's not just about us being in an army and marching. It's about us coming and receiving something that is completely done. That is just so different, isn't it? When I was a kid, we used to walk around the playground. I mean, I don't know why, but at the time when you're about seven, and and we used to put our arms around one another and say, who wants to play our game? And other kids used to come and join us. And uh, my favorite game was war. So we say, who wants to play our game? War! Who wants to? And another kid would come and join on, and then we'd be walking around the playground until we had this huge line. And by the time we got the line ready to have our first battle, the teacher used to blow and say, right, that's the end of playtime, you know. Sometimes I think we can almost feel that. It's a little bit like that with, with the gospel. Oh, you, you're just trying to sign me up for something? You're just trying to tell me I've got to go to war? Hey. Or do we say, well, actually, you've got it completely finished already. And that, when you put those lenses on, it will completely change the way you see things. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is also a moment. Most relationships, you could think back to, when did I first meet the person? Nick and I, met at university. I was actually in my second year. She was the year behind me. I remember the first beginning of my second year, I met that girl. I suddenly think, everything changed for me. I had been going out with another girl for three years. My parents thought she was the one. 
I met Nikki. I went home and I said, I'm sorry. The other one is history. I'm going after this one. I, I don't know if my parents have forgiven me. They've never spoken to me since. <laughs> no, it's not like that. But I can look back and I think, I remember a meeting. I remember an encounter. Paul writes to the church in Colossians, in Colossians 1 verse 6, and says, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul's almost saying that there was a day when you came to hear the gospel. There's a day when you understood it. And so, again, if we're really honest, why are we plugging this? Because actually we're trying to say to people, we want people to know a day when they hear the gospel. Why do we want them to really to come to John Archer? Because actually we'd love them to sign up on an Alpha course. What's the Alpha? Alpha is pointing out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. There'll be people in this room that say, actually, I did an Alpha course, and that was the day when I met him. I, got, got, I went along, and, and I, I suddenly, I put on those glasses, Pete. I put on this 3D. It's changed. I'm never going back. That is why we do these things. Because actually we want people to encounter. Some of you may even be here this morning and you think, wow, I've never understood what this whole gospel church thing was about. Some of you, you might even say, well, actually, I don't want to wait another day. This is why we have these books around. Why Jesus? They're on the table here. They're at the back. This is why we encourage folks in the church. Take one of these books with you. Because you never know when someone's going to say, I'd like to know Jesus myself. And you could read them. The prayer on page 18, which says, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. You see, I believe that there is a moment. For some it may be today. others, if you're really honest, you think, Pete, I'm not sure I can think of a moment. You see, I was brought up in a Christian family, but there was a moment for me. I remember quite clearly praying with my dad. It was June, 12th of June, 1977. And I remember praying with him. And I remember if you'd said to me before, you're a Christian, I said, I'm not sure. I'm brought up in a Christian family, but I don't know. I believe afterwards that he said, if you go to heaven, I said, well, I believe I am. Because actually I prayed there was a moment now, some of you might say, well, actually, Pete, I can't quite find that. And for many, it's a journey. And you might say, it's a bit like if, if you go to France on the Eurotunnel, at what point do you cross the line? I know that I started in London. I know I've ended up in Paris. But, you know, I don't think there's a little, you know, red line that says, careful, you're approaching France. I mean, welcome to Europe or whatever it is. But what you do know is when you've got out the other side, you think, I suddenly realize here I am. For some of you, you might say, actually, maybe my Christian life has been like that. Actually, I guess when I look back, there was a time I didn't believe, but actually, I really do believe now. I would challenge you, well, if you've never expressed it, get baptized. But I can't say too much because that is part two, and you're going to find out about that next week. I would say this, for all of us, the gospel continues to be a journey. You see, I don't say I believe, I say I'm believing. 
It's an ongoing thing. Paul, when he wrote to them in that verse, which I put up just now, Colossians 1.16, says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. You see, the gospel shouldn't be something we just look back to and say, oh, it was a moment. I believe clearly it is a moment, but I believe it's a journey. We should all be on that journey. John Calvin, he was a French theologian in the time of the Reformation. He said this, the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only. It is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. I believe that's a journey. I believe that's what we would say, hey, if you're not involved in a church locally, come and join the church because we're on this journey of the gospel. How's that going to work out? Well, this would change everything. These are these glasses that we put on. Uh, Tim Keller, he's written a book, Centre Church. I found it so helpful putting this series together. He's the only one that gets his picture up twice. He says this, The gospel transforms our hearts and our thinking and changes our approaches to absolutely everything. And so almost like when I define the gospel, that's what I want us to go away with. When on this, like, and this is the introduction, like I say, I'm really looking forward to it. Adam's going to be speaking next week on the next part. But you just think, oh, wow, this is the gospel. This is not just the ABC. This is not just the beginning. This is not just the starting point. This is everything. It changes everything. It changes the way I behave. It's the gospel. I am, I am so looking forward to us spending these next, well, we've got another five weeks now on looking at this. If you're not aware, we often talk about these things in our small groups. You'd be welcome to one of those. But actually, this, this should clarify everything for us. This is why we break bread. I better not say too much. I'm going to hand back to these guys. But I'm going to pray and thank God for his wonderful gospel. Father, we do want to start out by thanking you. I don't just want this to become a, a few quotes or slides. I want this to be something right from our heart that says, whoa, this has blown me away. I stood before you guilty, and now I'm free. I stood before you dirty, and now I'm clean. I stood before you condemned, and now I'm accepted. I mean, how many more pictures? I stood before you rejected, and now I'm loved. The gospel's changed me, and it catches me up with this big story that changes everything. I do pray for us as a church that we look at the multifaceted diamond that's in front of us. I pray for us as a church that we'd be sat gazing upon the sea, just enjoying the beauty, the vastness, the movement, the energy of this gospel. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.